A regular feature that we've had on Radio Islam International over the last few years is during the December period, we look back and we review the big stories locally, nationally, globally, uh, you know, for the year that has passed. And we reflect on how the story spanned out. And it's been very fascinating. Uh, sometimes during the year, you know, you you follow the story in snippets, snippets here and there. And uh, at the end of the year, you look back at the entire story and from beginning to end, and it gives us an overview of what had transpired. So this has been a feature over the last few years. And alhamdulillah, we have that feature this morning with Mulana Ibrahim Musa, who joins us uh, this morning to take us through uh, the year 2022, uh, review the year and look at all the important events. Mulana, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Mufti, jazakallah khairan for the opportunity again. Uh, Mulana, 2022, a dramatic start to the year. Yes, uh, while people were still, you know, rubbing off that uh, fatigue and uh, the, the rest from the holidays here in South Africa, what we had right on the 2nd of January 2022 was the fire at uh, the parliamentary complex in Cape Town. Uh, it started on the third floor of the National Council of Provinces. Uh, it went into the all-important uh, National Assembly. Uh, and while people, the fire services came to respond to this fire, just the next day we had another fire breaking out. And uh, at the end of it all, uh, we had the old National Assembly, uh, Assembly building uh, offices there being destroyed and severe water and smoke uh, damage. Uh, after that, we had these reports that, you know, the entire sprinkler system had not functioned properly. Uh, the adequate personnel were not on duty. The CCTV uh, system was not being uh, monitored. And I think it, it took uh, a lot of people by surprise as well. Uh, there was a sense of uh, curiosity, a sense of suspicion uh, when the suspect, uh, Zandile Mafe, was brought before the public and uh, supposedly homeless man behind such a major uh, crime. I think many people had their suspicions about that and what was really behind this particular tragedy. Uh, and I, I had a look back at what the status of this almost one year later and uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the minister and the relevant personnel saying there's a huge price tag to the repairs and it could take up to four years for the full extent of this uh, damage to be uh, sorted out. So that was uh, something locally and internationally. I think the big story that has dominated 2022 that really started off very much towards the beginning of the year in February was the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, which obviously has a a longer history that goes back to 2014 and so forth. Uh, But this invasion has had major repercussions not only for those two countries, but for the entire world. Tens of thousands dead on both sides, uh, major refugee uh, crisis. And obviously, uh, this has also got uh, Muslims uh, watching this with uh, eager, uh, eager eyes. What repercussions does this have and many theories? Uh, that floated around at that point, and also pointing out uh, the double standards of the West uh, vis-à-vis the refugees that came out here, vis-à-vis foreign occupation. And this was exactly a point that uh, Morana Suleiman Rawat had uh, discussed in these initial stages uh, of this occupation, uh, trying to formulate 
just Muslim response to what was going on at the moment. Let's take a listen. Secondly, where do we then uh, position ourselves as, as Muslims? We spoke about the double standards previously. Uh, that when, when, when Israel goes into Sheikh Jarrah and, 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 and demolishes homes, uh, when Israel takes over Palestinian territory, then that's not called an invasion. When, when NATO goes into Libya, it's not called an invasion. When the U.S. goes into Iraq or Afghanistan, it's not called an invasion. Now it's called an invasion. There isn't this kind of widespread global sympathy with Afghanistan and Iraq and Yemen for what has happened to them as there is with Ukraine. And then you see some of the countries like Poland and Austria and how, how they're welcoming uh, uh, refugees from Ukraine, but n- they were not so welcoming uh, when it came to refugees from Syria. I mean, those those devastating images of that boy who died on the boat and his body washed up on shore. Uh, some arguments have been put up saying, well, you know, uh, they are our immediate neighbors, Ukraine, uh, unlike Syria. Oh, they, the, the numbers are not as high, maybe 100,000 compared to one and a half million Syrians that uh, were, were, were looking for refuge in various parts of Europe. But the double standards are there. However, like I said in the last hour, I think we should avoid either extreme. One extreme is to just uh, ignore all the double standards, not talk about it and assume that by talking about it, then you're not showing sympathy and empathy with the people of Ukraine or you're legitimizing what Russia is doing. Not at all. On the other extreme is to make Russia the hero here. And uh, because of the double standards or because we have issues with the politics of the West or Europe or or America for that matter, uh, we should be balanced as Muslims. Uh, We should take a position where we sympathize with the people of Ukraine and their plight, where we call out the wrongs, even if it's perpetrated by Putin. But at the same time, we highlight the double standards. That uh, why isn't this the, the same degree of sympathy for the Palestinians who, have, who are suffering far worse for a far longer period of time? Why wasn't there the same kind of support from the governments and from NATO? Maybe on, on ground level we saw the protests sector at the time when Iraq was, was invaded. But why, why isn't there the same kind of support and kind of, you know, almost unanimous reaction from most of the countries in, in, in Europe and in the Western world uh, like how we see with Ukraine? So that was one of the Rawat commenting there on the double standards, but also the need to to call out uh, oppression uh, and injustice in all its forms, whether we uh, agree with the parties involved or not. Uh, and, and as the year has progressed, uh, this, as I mentioned, began in February, but uh, there's been twos and fro's in the conflict, uh, Russia retreating at some stage, uh, Russia besieging cities at a certain stage. There was a counter-offensive uh, from Ukrainian forces towards the end of the year. Uh, and retaking some of the uh, occupied re- uh, regions. Uh, but uh, that conflict still persists, and more than that uh, has been the repercussions for the rest of the world in terms of price shocks, uh, the supply disruptions, and uh, food and fuel shortages uh, that have uh, created major problems in Europe and have also filtered down to our very own shores here in South Africa. To the Indian subcontinent, Tamaltis here in Pakistan. Totally, uh, one goes to the political uh, political situation in Pakistan, and uh, uh, really, it has been a very uh, tumultuous year politically, not only in Pakistan but so many places around the world, even in our own country. Uh, so one is uh, the political dimension, but one is the uh, natural disaster, absolutely major natural disaster striking uh, striking Pakistan, particularly. Uh, 
uh, intense during July and August. The worst flood as is recorded in Pakistan's history, 10% of the entire country flooded, uh, you know, over 2 million people homeless. 33 million Pakistanis affected in total. Uh, you have almost a million homes destroyed. And uh, given the agricultural nature of the society, also devastating in terms of uh, the fields that were devastated, the uh, livestock losses, and then uh, the immense damage uh, as is normal in floods as well to roads and bridges and uh, infrastructure like schools being washed away. Uh, totally difficult for Pakistan in the middle of an economic crisis to now uh, be dealing with at least $30 billion of reconstruction costs and uh, economic economic damage. Uh, and, uh, you know, the situation report now, uh, six or so, or so months down the line, is that uh, a lot of the cropland and villages in some of these affected areas still remain underwater. Uh, and the people who are living close by to these flooded areas uh, still are in, in danger because, uh, you know, they're not on high ground. They're living in makeshift tents. And uh, they're also right out in the open next to contaminated and stagnant water and, you know, the risks uh, that that would pose. So that's on the natural disaster front. Uh, on the political front, it's all about uh, Imran Khan uh, and his uh, party, the PTI, the Tehrik and Saf party. Uh, he came to power, as we know, in 2018, and his promise at the time was he wanted to break uh, the pattern of family rule in Pakistan. His opponents, on the other hand, saying that no, he has ties to the military, and uh, that is how he came to occupy the top spot uh, in the land. So, uh, with those tensions playing out in the background, uh, we had a no confidence motion that was circulated against him in March. Uh, and in, in the middle of this and economic troubles in the country, uh, he claimed that foreign powers, particularly the United States, were behind a conspiracy to overthrow him. Uh, in that process, he lost his parliamentary majority and uh, he lost his post as prime minister, uh, immediately replaced shortly thereafter by Shabazz Sharif, again from the uh, Sharif dynasty that has uh, been very influential in Pakistani politics. Uh, after that, it was payback, payback time for Imran Khan, charged with terrorism and uh, many other things, banned from speaking in the media for a short period of time. Uh, and at the end of October, he calls for a long march, uh, demanding new elections. And during this process, he, uh, he, he becomes the target of uh, an assassination attempt where he suffered a bullet injury on his uh, leg uh, and was uh, thereafter taken to hospital. Uh, so the Pakistani political imbroglio continues, uh, but once again, despite all the high politics of the situation, uh, the economic crisis and uh, the real day-to-day -day challenges for Pakistanis uh, do not become any the better uh, despite the shift of power that has occurred in Pakistan. To the neighbor, India, there's been grave concerns over the future of Muslims in India. And I want to focus here, Mufti, on uh, comments made by the founder of Genocide Watch, Dr. Gregory Stenton. Uh, he made a warning or repeated a warning that he has made several times 
uh, at a convention in, in, in September where he said India has all of the preparatory stages for more genocidal massacres. And, you know, there are different uh, stages that uh, are identified that a nation goes through, uh, which uh, indicate uh, the dangers posed of an imminent genocide. And he's made similar warnings uh, before and uh, has said that what has happened in Myanmar before, what has happened in Rwanda before, uh, we're just escalating down that path in terms of the BJP rule in India and the Hindutva ideology and how it's unleashing itself against the large but minority Muslim population in India. And uh, he said that they have been making this uh, call and this warning for over 20 years, but it has fallen on deaf ears, uh, and it's now only getting worse. Uh, what uh, other human rights organizations have said is uh, the incidents that we are seeing in India at the moment is not just the behavior of a few bad apples, but they are the product of prejudice that has filtered down into all institutions and now manifesting themselves as discriminatory legislation. Some of the things, uh, particular incidents that we saw, derogatory comments from uh, BJP leaders against the Nabi of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah forbid, uh, we saw uh, homes being demolished as collective punishment, mirroring again uh, policies uh, that are used by the Israelis, armed marches by Hindutva thugs in Muslim areas. Uh, uh, they've got laws that have now been reclassified, uh, which uh, now, uh, uh, you know, means it, uh, m- m- Muslims uh, uh, will now be reclassified, their citizenship status, which will make it easier for them to face deportation. Uh, and in many of these cases, what we are encountering is, uh, you know, actions are taken to provoke the Muslim population and then when a natural response comes from the Muslim population uh, they are then criminalized uh, and uh, you know the even harsher measures are being imposed on the Muslim population we uh, also have a, a very big trend similar to what happened in terms of the Babri Masjid uh, other masjids such as the Kian Vapi Masjid and others uh, are being claimed to be former temples, former sites for uh, Hindu deities, and uh, using that as a pretext for takeover and legal proceedings uh, to, uh, again, uh, limit Muslim involvement, the Muslim heritage, Muslim freedom of worship in the country. Uh, towards the beginning of the year, we also have the Karnataka. Uh, case where girls were banned from attending, Muslim girls were banned from attending school and forced to to move their, uh, remove the hijab and there have been several legal challenges after that. Uh, so this is what is happening in India, extremely dire and requires much, much more attention and urgency uh, from the Muslim world and we saw what the effects of failing to check this ideology in India can have on Muslim minority populations in other parts of the world uh, as we saw uh, towards the end of the year where Hindutva thugs, uh, masked Hindutva thugs uh, rioted in Leicester in the United Kingdom armed with metal poles uh, and attacking Muslims, uh, attacking uh, 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 masjids and so forth. And uh, this is just an indication of the 
uh, toxicity of uh, this ideology and uh, the dangers that it, spread, uh, it, 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 it presents not only in India, uh, but beyond India and other parts of the world as well. There is certainly a large Muslim population in India and uh, uh, it, it is really worrisome in terms of the trend that is emerging there and how far it could spread and what uh, the impact could be on Muslims in India. We're reviewing the year 2022 and we've looked at some of the big developments like the uh, fire at parliament as well as uh, the Ukraine war, uh, what has happened in Pakistan as well as in India. We now move on to the year in South Africa and on the political front. Uh, Mulana, what was it like? What were the major occurrences in South African politics? Uh, what are the things that uh, stand out at this point? A busy, busy year right till the end, uh, Mufti. But uh, before we come to what might still be fresh in people's minds, uh, earlier in the year, we had the uh, state capture report findings uh, finally being uh, tabled and presented to the president. Uh, this uh, commission took four years to complete its work with many extensions and it cost the South African taxpayer uh, one billion rand in the tune of uh, one billion rand. Uh, at, at the end, uh, it's not going to be a silver bullet uh, to the problems of corruption. What is more important is the lessons that are heeded from there and uh, what will be done and whether prosecutions will follow from the information that's provided in that uh, particular final report. Uh, it, it does obviously agree on the uh, very harmful role played by the Kupta family in South Africa and those who enabled them, uh, the role of President, former President Zuma in state capture. Uh, but at the same time, it was also critical of uh, the uh, reigning president Ramaphosa and uh, found problems with his testimony uh, bordering on, uh, you know, being very economical with, uh, with the truth. Uh, we, we did, after this, see some movement, whether related to the state capture report or uh, just uh, general prosecutions that were overdue. Uh, former Transnet, Transnet executives, Brian Molefe, Anoch Singh, uh, were, were arrested for their role in, uh, in, in tender corruption. Then there's uh, the, the report that came in June of uh, the Gupta brothers who were arrested in, in Dubai uh, after an Interpol red notice. Uh, but still, till this point in time, uh, in terms of accountability or extradition to South Africa, there's not too much clarity, and we've been told that uh, this process will take some time. Uh, then uh, there was uh, the uh, ongoing battles with, uh, between the presidency and various uh, NGOs uh, with uh, the public protector, Pusisiwe uh, Nkwabane, uh, who was suspended by the president. Then uh, a suspension was declared unlawful by the High Court, and now the matter sits with the Constitutional Court. And lastly, uh, uh, obviously, the, the, the elephant in the room is, is President Ramaphosa, which we will uh, discuss later. Uh, but uh, we, we've got the instability of uh, coalition politics in South Africa. Uh, which uh, resulted at one point in time uh, of, of the suspension 
uh, or, or the, the removal of the city of Johannesburg, Mayor Mpopalatse, uh, and she took it to court. She was reinstated. Similar situation uh, in Ekuruleni, where the DA mayor there was also ousted, uh, but uh, she also came back to be uh, re-elected again, as we reflected about Pakistan. Uh, a lot of this is politics. It's, a lot of this is also uh, something to expect in South Africa with the weakness of, a, uh, of the ANC and the shaky nature of coalition politics that is now going to define our political terrain. Uh, but unfortunately, very little in all of this about service, uh, service delivery as we see municipal services uh, and municipalities collapsing left, right and center all across South Africa. Uh, you alluded to Ramaphosa and what we've seen, Ramaphosa's dirty linen. And uh, this is uh, not only dirty linen, uh, people would say it's Uplan, people would say it's uh, uh, money under the couch or money under the mattress. Uh, uh, so many people uh, somehow could uh, relate to this. Uh, so uh, this obviously came with uh, the uh, complaints from Arthur Fraser that uh, in his view, something like 4 million U.S. dollars was stashed inside a couch uh, at Ramaphosa's home uh, at the Palapala Game Reserve in Limpopo. Uh, This money was then stolen, uh, he said, in February 2022, uh, 2020 rather. And uh, the the problem was uh, that he tried to sketch was... uh, what was the source of this money? Why did the president not report the crime? Why was there such a large amount of foreign currency that was not declared uh, to the Reserve Bank? And he went on to say that the suspects involved in the theft were then kidnapped, interrogated on the, a farm, and then paid off uh, not to tell anybody about uh, the incident. Uh, Ramaphosa was tight-lipped on this, and uh, even later when he had to face questions, uh, he, uh, uh, again, according to many, did not provide too many satisfactory answers. He, at one point, claimed that there was a political agenda around the disclosure, uh, and uh, that this money was his own money, not state money, it wasn't stolen money, it wasn't a case of uh, money laundering. Uh, adding to the entire saga was the EFF leaking videos uh, of what had occurred on the on the farm. And uh, the uh, story that we mentioned earlier about the public protector uh, was also related to this when she decided uh, very quickly to latch on to the story and investigate uh, the, the president. Uh, eventually, the president was investigated uh, by parliament, and uh, the findings said that he could be guilty of serious misconduct and uh, violation. And when this news broke recently, many thought, uh, including myself, that uh, you know there was talk that he was going to address the nation, and uh, it seemed very, very likely that he was uh, going to uh, make an imminent announcement of resignation. Somehow he uh, was convinced otherwise, uh, and uh, that didn't happen. Uh, then it went towards an impeachment vote in Parliament, and because the ANC stood, t- stood together, uh, he was not impeached. And eventually, in a strange turn of events, a person whose political career looked almost over has returned strongly as ever as the ANC president, 
Uh, and now the outlook is some people saying that uh, this gives him more space to be more decisive in his second term, uh, but others say that uh, so far uh, his track record has not inspired much confidence at all in the South African public and having such a big scandal behind him will inevitably at one point or the other, despite overcoming this initial challenge, it will come back to haunt him sooner rather than later. Yes, uh, that is uh, the reality. It doesn't go away and it gets called out at convenient times for those uh, with their agendas. Uh, Let's look at the local front. What are some of the other local stories? Uh, so mostly the first one we look at is uh, April, the heavy rains across KwaZulu-Natal, uh, particularly hard hit, obviously in Durban, more than 400 people tragically died in these floods. Uh, we can all uh, look at, uh, remember the very uh, disturbing images of bridges being washed away, homes being swept away uh, right before the cameras, boats in the middle of residential areas, uh, shipping containers being tossed around so, uh, you, know, you know, with so much ease. And we also had, uh, you know, the, the tragic incidents of uh, people within our own community, like Mohazin's, uh being passed, uh, passed away. Uh, this was uh, a report that we got at the time, uh, at the height of these floods by Mawlana Muhammad Amir from uh, Darul Ihsan, Islamic Services Center out in, in, in Durban, painting a very dire picture of what was occurring at the time. And the rain has been quite incessant. It has been continuous. Last night there was a very heavy rain and a lot of people were displaced last night. They had to be moved into uh, safe zones. And uh, from what we know from disaster management, there are three or four areas at the moment, particularly in the greater Durban area that we are aware of, where approximately a 1,000 people have been displaced and they have been housed in these community centers. Uh, The various organizations, together with disaster management, are working around the clock to assist residents that have been trapped and also uh, people who have been affected by the localized flooding. So uh, uh, in all, the situation is quite dire at the moment. It is, uh, you know, a desperate crisis at the moment. And uh, all, t- all people, all hands are on the deck to try to ensure that uh, as many lives can be saved as possible. There are a lot of people that are missing. We've had a tragic incident of uh, a muazzin who has been trapped under a fallen structure at one of the musallas here in Durban. And like that, many families have been holed out in the uh, upper structures of their home because the bottom uh, basement or the entrance areas and the lounge and uh, bottom areas have been completely flooded, etc. Uh, so there was a report uh, from Mohana uh, Muhammad Amir and tragically the Muazzin that he had spoken there uh, had become Shahid in that uh, incident. Uh, what made these floods so, uh, so serious, according to the weather service, five months worth of rain uh, came down in Durban at that point in time in just a few hours. And uh, the effects of this still visible today in damaged infrastructure and uh, even in uh, what, what we see during this holiday season, the sewage crisis for residents of Durban, uh, chemicals uh, as well as sewage still pouring into the beaches, all of this partly uh, as a result of that uh, particular crisis. Uh, some other local stories, uh, Mufti, we had the uh, uh, Devon Devon disaster in June in the Eastern Cape where 21 young people died 
reportedly, according to uh, investigations, due to suffocation. Uh, then we had Operation Pedula, which is a uh, vigilante xenophobic campaign, uh, which uh, seeks to intimidate migrants, street vendors, uh, force force out or knock down, as the name suggests, uh, illegal migrants. Uh, and uh, as, as many of these campaigns go by, they say it's all about addressing crime and lack of jobs and uh, all of this they blame on illegal uh, migrants. And they've gone business to business, building to building, uh, asking uh, small businesses to only employ South Africans, uh, calling for shopkeepers to close down and leave the country. And uh, this has obviously led to a number of instances of violence. Uh, against immigrants and it's an ongoing campaign and an ongoing threat uh, that is also feeding itself or weaving its, its way into local policy uh, and discussions of major political parties. Another story that I've uh, witnessed, uh, you know, being quite prominent over the year, uh, particularly in different uh, areas along the mining belt in Gauteng, is illegal mining. Uh, this becoming much more of a talked about issue uh, and uh, many communities also becoming very angered. Uh, the question is, is there a political will to tackle it? Uh, and there certainly seems to be a market for uh, the, 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 what is being mined through illegal mining. And unless that corridor is closed, uh, I don't see uh, seriousness in tackling this particular problem. We've also had uh, very tragic incidents uh, with pit bull killings, uh, children being killed, children being mauled, and uh, and others being killed. And this has all obviously raised concerns, and uh, there's been a lot of debate around uh, pit bulls and calls for banning uh, of pit bulls as pets. And lastly, one more tragedy. On the 11th of September, we had the Jagersfontein uh, uh, mine dam collapse. Uh, where houses were swept away, there were mudslides, and uh, a few people also were killed, buried under the mud due to this particular tragedy in the small mining town. Yes, there has been a very, very busy year on the various fronts. And there may be those who may not be that interested in news, but our next issue has affected everyone across the country. The issue of load shedding and the woes that it brought to us. Uh, totally, and uh, we've spoken about this on so many episodes of the year in review previously, uh, and unfortunately it hasn't got any better. It's uh, definitely been worse according to uh, the popular load shedding app that many people are, are familiar with. Uh, we've had, this, been, this has been the worst year with a 200% increase in load shedding. Uh, it just got worse towards the end of the year, November being the worst month for load shedding in, in South Africa. What we need to remember is uh, while people, uh, perhaps uh, middle class or upper classes, uh, have found ways to adapt. Uh, that doesn't mean that people have accepted, but people have found ways to adapt. Uh, not many, the vast majority of people uh, in South Africa do not have this privilege. Uh, and uh, uh, they, uh, you, you know, would uh, have to deal with uh, worsening load, load shedding, uh, affecting every every aspect of, of their lives and not finding much 
are many ways to to be able to overcome that. We have uh, uh, also many people, despite the crisis, thinking that it's going to get better uh, when at the same time ESCOM is saying that uh, uh, load shedding will continue for the next 6 to 12 months uh, as it tries to do major capital projects and repairs. Uh, In the middle of all of this, we know some of the root causes, uh, again, coming to light, coal syndicates, uh, sabotage, we have the deployment of the army, the president trying to address this, uh, he famously would address the nation regarding the COVID pandemic, he tried to address the nation on the energy crisis, uh, and he seemed to say that uh, he'll try to cut red tape in parliament, try to increase generation generation capacity and put more focus on solar, uh, but uh, seemingly the fact that it just worsened after that address shows that uh, that didn't do much to inspire confidence. We had uh, the ESCOM CEO uh, towards the end of the year uh, also throwing in the tower. That crisis then feeds into a number of other crises in South African society uh, where watershedding is, is now the reality for uh, many people. We had uh, day zero threats out in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay in the Eastern Cape, as uh, you would be uh, aware of. Partly this is uh, not, not particularly in the Eastern Cape, but generally water shedding in the country is a result of uh, load shedding uh, because South Africa has had good rains, uh, you know, over, over the, the uh, many parts of South Africa have had good rains over the, the recent while. Uh, but uh, what has caused the water shedding problem then again as uh, South Africans are now feeling the pinch is corruption, mismanagement, incompetence, poor planning, uh, wasteful spending and political conflict. Uh, and we also have uh, the very serious situation facing the country's rivers in terms of uh, contamination from uh, you know, uh, industrial waste as well as uh, sewage. And this is actually the crisis to be more concerned about because in the case of load shedding, whether it may be expensive or not, or not alternative sources of energy, energy can be made accessible. While when it comes to water shedding, uh, they might not be alternatives or those might not be available. And this means that water shedding will have much, much more dire consequences for South Africa than what we've experienced with load shedding. And, and finally, Mufti, uh, this is another one of those day-to-day crises, uh, like you mentioned, uh, affects everybody. The fuel pumps, no friends of South African wallets in 2022. Uh, the retail prices of petrol and diesel record highs. Uh, we saw petrol in July shooting up to 26 rand. 74, and uh, there's a number of reasons that will be put forward for this, uh, but uh, had it not been for the taxes that are added to the, uh, to, to, to the petrol, obviously this would be significantly lower, and uh, when the uh, government did decide to reduce the general fuel levy, uh, and we still have such prices, one could, one could imagine what the prices would be without this temporary reduction. Uh, shocking statistic I came across here, and I'll stop on this, that South Africa's petrol prices have more than doubled in the past five years. Yes, that has really been a painful point for one and all. Uh, what have been some major global developments? 
yes, quickly, Muki, we've got uh, Sri Lankan protesters taking to the streets uh, again because of the mismanagement of the economy, a common theme in so many countries of the world. Uh, the Prime Minister, Gautabaya, eventually uh, gave up power. But incredible scenes there of how protesters went into the private residence of the Prime Minister. They set it on fire. Uh, people live streamed from inside that building. Uh, and some of the video footage showed them splashing in the swimming pool, uh, sitting on the sofas, emptying out chest of, drawer, uh, chest of drawers. Uh, so th- th- this is uh, obviously when things come to a head, uh, the kind of revenge that, th- that is enacted by populations. Uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, they too not immune from political crisis. Uh, lots of movement there. Boris Johnson resigning in July. There's trust coming to the uh, helm of the Conservative Party, then becoming the Prime Minister. Uh, then she would uh, resign uh, just a month later, becoming the shortest-serving prime minister in British history. In the middle of all of that, we have the Queen dying, and uh, the world now getting uh, having to get used to and talking about the UK, no longer a queen after many, many decades, now talking about a king, and uh, getting used to an Indian prime minister uh, at the helm at 10 Downing Street. Uh, in other parts of the world, we have the Ira- Iranian protests, uh, which are continuing now for over 100 days. We had the blasphemous author uh, Salman Rushdie who was stabbed in the United States. Uh, in Afghanistan, uh, still the world failing to recognize the legitimate Taliban government, uh, not releasing uh, the revenues that belong to, to the country. Uh, and uh, we had a uh, massive earthquake in June. We have the revealing to the world of the one secretive grave of Mullah Omar, and uh, we, the debates over women's, women's education uh, continue. As COVID took a, a back step, uh, the world came to find out about monkeypox, uh, this disease that uh, largely affects uh, homosexual people because of uh, the uh, very uh, risky and uh, immoral lifestyle that they live. And uh, lastly, towards the end of the year, we had uh, the World Cup, uh, which uh, came with, uh, you know, beyond what happens on the field, uh, a very big coordinated campaign against Qatar racism, lies, Islamophobia, Qatar standing its ground on LGBT. Uh, there's obviously legitimate criticisms over the event uh, from an Islamic point of view because of the money spent and the overall time wastage in Ghafla. Uh, but uh, there were people who used the less than ideal opportunity to invite to Islam, praise, break misconceptions about Islam. And uh, the, this has opened people's eyes to the impact of uh, no alcohol or less alcohol being used less uh, hooliganism resulted, less violence against spectators and women. Uh, The event was also used to showcase uh, greater support for Palestine. And uh, Qatar did uh, do do something different and use this uh, as a leverage and exhibition of soft power. Mm. Uh, Let's look at Palestine. What happened in Palestine? Uh, In terms of Palestine, some quick bullet points. We've got international, uh, co- the international community, uh, more and more organizations now coming to a consensus. 
that uh, what is happening in Palestine is apartheid. Many prominent groups have now used this designation. Uh, the, as uh, the World Cup showed, as uh, other popular campaigns showed, uh, you know, the traction for the cause, Aqsa Week, etc., have just grown in strength as the years have gone by. Uh, at the same time, normalization setbacks continue to be felt, and uh, Palestinians are very disappointed by the uh, reopening of ties between uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, rather between uh, Turkey uh, and uh, the Zionist state. Uh, we had increase in uh, the provocations against Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, very dire situation again, uh, coinciding of Jewish holidays and trying to do rituals in Masjid al-Aqsa, coinciding with the last 10 days of Ramadan. And uh, that obviously uh, went out in attacks uh, on worshippers, beatings, besieging of the Masjid, breaking of its windows. Other events that we saw, a uh, very iconic image of the year was the killing of Shirin Abu Akleh, the Al Jazeera journalist. And to add insult to injury thereafter, the attack on a funeral that showed the moral fragility of the Israeli state. And thereafter, it tried everything to uh, evade accountability, uh, changing its narrative several times. Uh, we also got uh, the increase in uh, armed resistance in the West Bank, which now becomes a new theater uh, for resistance and conflict, the rise of new groups such as uh, the Lion's Den, and uh, the world now looking at uh, the dire future uh, that faces uh, the Palestinians with uh, the rise of Israel's most racist right-wing government yet, uh, which uh, looks to completing the job as they see it that was not completed in the Nakba or during the Israeli occupation of 1967. In terms of the Muslim community, you know, what were some of the features, what are some of the stories that stood out? Uh, so, mostly we've got uh, the uh, issue more recently of the profiling of women at uh, our airports uh, for, for hijab, inappropriate searching. Radio Islam also then reached out to EXA and got uh, their response on that. We've got the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, ruling that the Azan is not a disturbance to the community of Ispingo, an uh, important case for uh, Muslim religious freedoms in South Africa. Uh, this is after uh, uh, an initial complaint from a resident and a high court ruling uh, that ruled in his favor. Uh, important in terms of Muslim community history, uh, the uh, valiant struggle of Imam Abdullah Harun against the apartheid system uh, brought back to the fore when uh, the re, uh, uh, reopening of the inquest into his death in apartheid police custody in 1969. Uh, this is uh, also another uh, big issue uh, that's still being debated on and its repercussions being considered. The Constitutional Court recognizing uh, Muslim marriages uh, when it decided in a judgment that the Marriage Act and the Divorce Act are unconstitutional and uh, this because they failed to recognize Muslim marriages uh, which have not been registered as, as, as civil marriages. We've also had uh, the uh, University of Pretoria being criticized for forcibly closing down a Salah room at its health sciences facility. And uh, then on the downside, uh, we had unfortunate incidents uh, at uh, a Muslim soccer tournament 
and uh, we also had social media that was set ablaze about uh, certain ingredients in our chocolates, uh, and everybody had something to say about that. Who are the individuals, the personalities who passed away in this year? Uh, there, there, there would be many, and would we be doing it, uh, injustice to, uh, you, you, you know, say that this is by any way uh, uh, an, an exhaustive list? But uh, some names that come to mind: uh, great Muslim scholars, Sheikh Yusuf Al Qalabawi, uh, who influenced generations of Muslims in, 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 in through his thoughts and through his writings. Uh, we have Mufti Rafi Osmani passing away as well. Uh, locally, community stalwart Akil uh, Token. Uh, we've done so much for the, uh, you, you know, uh, in terms of healthcare as well as uh, his uh, services to the Muslim community, even going on Hajj and so forth. Uh, we had uh, the tragic death of Maulana Abu Bakr Aku, who was involved in the Dawa scene. Uh, we had the passing away of, of Sheikh Abdul Hamid Khabir, uh, who played a very important role uh, in the development of Muslim community structures. Uh, Don Matera. Uh, the uh, the poet uh, who embraced Islam, and uh, l- lastly, uh, one big story internationally was the tragic uh, uh, falling into a well, the epic rescue effort, and unfortunately, the sad ending to that of the child Bayan who uh, fell into a well out in Morocco. If we reflect on the events of the year, what are your reflections? Uh, Mufti, I just want, wanted to, uh, you know, look at two points. Obviously, we, we've had uh, three points. Basically, we've got uh, obviously the Muslim community on the one hand dealing ever more with uh, the challenges faced by the LGBT ideology and how this is being thrust upon the community. Uh, on, on the positive side, we have uh, the works of the likes of Dr. Inja Suleiman still continuing continues to be recognized and all other Muslim uh, you know uh, workers in this particular field uh, but while we have the positives on the one hand we also have uh, a number of uh, d- uh, d- dangers uh, or, or a number of downsides where Muslims have been involved in prominent scams in prominent prominent issues of corruption whether it is within the Muslim community or whether it is uh, beyond the Muslim community and all of this has been reported very widely which is very harmful to the image of the Muslim community and it uh, offers a very dangerous picture of some disturbing developments within the core of the Muslim community and I wanted to reflect in conclusion on uh, what Sayyidina uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said in a narration where he said that whoever wants to be pleased to receive the advice that Sayyidina Muhammad gave at the end of his life should read the verses 151 to 153 of Surah An'am. If one goes to those particular verses, uh, one sees that this takes us away from many contentious issues that uh, often bog us down and brings us back to the essence of Islam, such as Tawheed, uh, you know, no shirk, kindness to parents, safeguarding, uh, safeguarding life, prohibiting murder, avoiding indecency, avoiding uh, fornication, adultery, uh, then safeguarding wealth, uh, and you know, not transgressing uh, 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 against the wealth of others, fulfilling one's contracts, 
uh, upholding justice, uh, avoiding arrogance and unethical behavior, and uh, following the straight path and not pursuing matters which people do not have uh, knowledge about. And uh, what, what we should take out from this is that uh, instead of getting caught in every every next con- uh, you know controversy that comes out and trying to formulate an opinion on uh, on every matter, whether we we have experience or not, uh, why do we not pursue these ten matters amongst others that everybody agrees on that there's absolutely no disagreement about? And when we look at these matters, we see that they are crucial for our religious and our worldly uh, well-being. Uh, and, you know, they, 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 there's no splitting of, uh, of airs on any minor issues in, in, in these particular matters. Uh, they are essential values. They're not open to discussion. They're not open to uh, alteration. And uh, what happens, though, in, 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 the, in, the, in the problems that we see in the Muslim community, uh, in terms of the scandals we see in the Muslim community, in terms of the bad ethical behavior that we see in the Muslim uh, communities, that we often take these serious matters uh, for granted when they are actually the strength of the Muslim community, the strength of Muslim civilization, and we instead focus on the issues that uh, are a cause of disagreement. And this is, you know, a major reason perhaps uh, why we're seeing this deterioration in moral values in the community. And I think it should be a clearing call, it should be a movement uh, through our media, through uh, our masjid programs, through, uh, you know, ordinary people in society to come back to these essential values and then spread that light uh, that Muslims ought to be playing in wider society. Very, very thought-provoking. Mona, Jazakumullah khair. We know that this program that takes place in the end of the year, it's a culmination of the efforts of the entire year, making notes and jotting down the events as they occur through the year and then sharing it with us at this time of the year. May Allah reward you abundantly. You've done a beautiful job of encapsulating the major events and highlighting that with all the important angles and uh, presenting it uh, in a snapshot to the listeners. Jazakum uh, khair and may Allah continue using you for the service of Deen. And inshallah, we look forward to having you again next week, Monday, for the Palestine Report. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was Mulana Ibrahim Musa with the year in review. 2022.